great. I just got to know. Let me, let me ask the next girl that walks by. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm thinking of like the German version, go for nine or like <laughs> right. the, the Canadian version, go for no, but thanks kindly for asking. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. This is The Art of Charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The Art of Charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a curriculum. We've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Make sure to stay up to date with everything here and get some great content that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. We also give away a lot of freebies on that list as well, so go ahead and sign up and see what you're missing. This show is about you. We're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. If you're new and you want to know where to begin or find out more about what we teach at our live programs here in LA, you can go to the website. We'll email you a starter kit of all the top shows here on The Art of Charm. 
We'll also send you the fundamentals like body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, dating, attraction, business networking, negotiation, relationship management, and more. Pretty much all the stuff we'd wish we'd learned and mastered years ago. And we have our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. In fact, we always have guys from all over the world, which shows that no matter where you are, you can make it here if you want to learn and you want to grow. Details at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp or give us a call or email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. I read everything and I'm looking forward to meeting you here at AOC. Today we're talking with Andrea Waltz. She's the author of a book called Go for No. We're going to talk about why people have the wrong idea when it comes to dealing with failure and rejection and, of course, how to illustrate this with, with proof and some science because uh, I like to see the evidence behind upping your rejection equals upping your success. Of course, she argues that the more you get rejected, the more likely you are to succeed, so we'll explore that in this episode. We're also going to talk about how this applies in dating, how this applies in sales, how this applies in business and other areas of your life, and why you should celebrate your failures and make a game out of it. So all this, enjoy this one with Andrea Waltz. So tell me who you are in, in one sentence, maybe two. Okay. Um, my name is Andrea Waltz. I'm a professional speaker, author of a book called Go For No, which helps people reprogram how they think about failure and rejection. Awesome. And now... How did you get into this type of thing? Because, you know, everybody faces rejection, as you know, and it's one of the things that we're most afraid of. But what made you decide to dive headfirst into, I guess, the study of rejection? Yeah, well, I fell in love with the idea of embracing failure and embracing rejection when I realized that it wasn't actually the avoidance of those things that really creates a mediocre life and mediocre sales performance and mediocre performance in general. And that actually happened several years ago when I met my now husband, who told me a very powerful story about something that happened to him when he learned um, what we call the secret, which is to go for no. And that is to intentionally increase your failure rate in order to be more successful. And that made so much sense to me because I realized that as a salesperson and really in every area of my life, I always avoided confrontation. I avoided trying to be rejected. I never wanted anyone to say no to me. And I realized that the more I did that, though, the more success I got. And so I thought, this is a brilliant thing. We have to go out and teach this. And so we ended up writing a book about it. And now it's what we share all over the world. And it's all we do is te teach this one specific topic. Because I think that if people can get this, um, all of the skills and talents they have within them can really be unleashed. But if you've got a fear of rejection, this is the singular thing that really holds you back. All right. And we'll get into that for sure. And you, you've been in just a million articles. You've been in Success Magazine. And and stuff like that, and and uh, I just I'm envisioning your husband proposing, and you being like, "No, but try again later because your chances of success are now higher." Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what happened, actually, Jordan. He started proposing way too soon, and actually <laughs> asked me practically every day. In fact, it's something. It's a story that we tell when we speak together on stage, and he did. He asked me every day for about a year. I said no, no, no every day because it was just too soon, and then finally. We were walking through um, Macy's one day and he just did this kind of throwaway proposal. He said, so are you going to marry me or what? And I said, I was just, I had finally worn down and I said, yes. So literally I was trying on shoes. He ran over to the jewelry department. He came back. He had a ring in his hand. He knelt down next to the sales associate who was helping me try on shoes and proposed right there in the shoe department at Macy's. Wow. And because he was like, oh, crap, let me start over. I didn't expect you to say yes this time. And then like hauled ass over to Jared Jewelers. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and really, it's a good lesson because he he's, he's a sales trainer. So he knows that if the deal is there and it's available, you got to close when you get the opportunity. So that's right. exactly what he did. He's like, damn, she might change her mind if she gets a pair of shoes that she likes instead of a husband. So right. I better I better get on this. What did the sales associate do when when because that's not really a I mean, a restaurant, they're, they're kind of like, oh, this might happen, get champagne. A sales associate's not like, here's some shoes. I mean, what do, they, what do you do when you're selling shoes and someone gets proposed to and accepts right there? <laughs> yeah, I know. The salesperson was just kind of stunned and was probably more disappointed that I wasn't interested in buying more shoes at the moment. So they, they just kind of hung back. But some of the customers were pretty excited. That is pretty cool. Yeah, I can imagine. There's like, hey, keep the socks, you know, those little trial 
socks right. that were after. Yeah, yeah, you can have as many as many pairs as you want. Um, you've sold three hundred thousand copies of this book, which is insane. Because when I talk to other authors that have been around for like twenty five, thirty years, their first bestseller sold like five thousand copies, and it hit like the New York Times bestseller list or something like that. Now you've got to you've got to compete pretty hard for that spot. Yes. Well, and listen, I mean, it's taken us a long time. And the, the funny thing about it was the first few years that we had Go For No out, we designed the cover ourselves, which is a kind of a Go For No story in and of itself. It was a total disaster. Um, we, we printed a couple thousand copies of the book. We had this horrible cover. We sent out 500 review copies to people we knew would want to buy multiple copies. And that's kind of the success of selling that many books is in getting you know, influences, influencers and decision makers to buy multiple copies of your book. Well, so we have this horrible cover, but we, we think this book is great. It's going to do really well. So we send out these 500 review copies and we get one order out of 500. And basically it's like crickets. I mean, no one is interested in this book and we, we didn't understand it. So we kind of flounder around for a couple years. And then finally we go to an event. It was a Mark Victor Hansen book marketing event we bring some copies of our book. We're networking with people, meeting people, and we're about ready to leave after this three-day conference. And we have one copy of the book left. And my husband, Richard, says to me, he said, well, let's just take it home. And I said, no, no, no. There's a guy named Tom. He was sitting right in front of us. I said, I think he's in sales. Let's give him the last copy of the book. So we give this copy to Tom. And we go home and we get a phone call the next day from Tom. And he says, hey, I want you guys to know I read your book. And it's amazing. It is amazing. But you guys have like the worst cover in the history of publishing. I think that if you guys could change this cover, I think this will be a best selling book and I'll buy 5000 from you right off the bat. So we said, yeah, we can do that. Absolutely. So we changed the cover that made believe it or not, it made all the difference. Um, because people do actually judge a book by its cover. Yeah, uh, we, we changed it. And we went out and, and really started I mean, that that gave us actually a lot of confidence, to be honest with you. And we just said, let's let's not give up on this. Let's be persistent, like we teach people to do in the book, let's keep going. And so it's taken us 15 years to get to those sales numbers. But obviously, it's worth it, because, you know, we believe in the message. Yeah, wow. I mean, you're getting a lot of mileage out of rejection, so congrats on that. That's really cool. Uh, and furthermore, I mean, it's a fascinating topic because you're absolutely right. Not just, you know, salespeople and definitely not just you're talking about guys dating women and stuff. Obviously, that's like where we focus on this pretty much the most in our normal lives or being rejected socially. But I think you're right. People do have the wrong idea when it comes to failure and rejection. And I've seen companies startup companies especially, they fail a lot when they're afraid of rejection because they want to get the website perfect and then they want to get the prototype looking really great and they've got to have cool t-shirts and hoodies and backpacks and then they need business cards and then, you know, that's what they use their bootstrap capital for and then they go pitch a VC and they're like, yeah, I don't like the logo or I don't like this and you got to change all that and they're like, oh my God, sunk cost. All these sort of cognitive biases kick in and if they were just not afraid of rejection, they would have gotten to somebody else first and gone, what do you think of this? Well, I hate the name, I hate the logo, prototype looks like crap, but it works, so you got something here. And they would have been able to change directions much sooner. And I see this with dating as well, obviously, there's that's the classic story, is guy sees girl, guy freaks out that she's gonna say no, guy doesn't say anything, guy laments over spilled milk for the next 10 years with, you know, rinse and repeat until you're like, oh my God, I'm 30, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that is such a classic story. And it really is sad because it does all come down to that fear of failure, that fear of rejection. And um, in both cases, whether it's a startup or someone who just wants to ask someone out on a date, I mean, it's that desire to be perfect. And so, uh, yeah, these startup companies who put everything into the things that they want, they want to have it all perfect right out of the gate. It's not going to be. And, um, and the guy who wants to ask that dream girl out, it's not always going to go the way you want it to. That's why you've got to increase the number of rejections that you hear, because when you do that, the success is around the corner. Right. And I'm not just trying to chuck everything in life up to a numbers game, because I know there's somebody going, oh, I don't need any skills now because I, I can just ask and play the numbers game entirely. You can increase your numbers. You just can't increase it to 100 percent. 
Exactly. And you can't, you can increase your numbers. And you're right, though, it's kind of this quality quantity argument. And we talk about this all the time in our business is you can increase the quantity of people that you approach and that you talk to. And in doing so, that is what gives you the experience to have those conversations. And of course, the more conversations you have, the more experience that you get, the better you become at having those conversations, the more relaxed you are, the more relaxed you are, the more attractive and confident you are. And then it really starts that self-perpetuating cycle. But until you jump that first hurdle, which is, okay, I'm willing to fail. I'm willing to hear no. I'm going to try to have these conversations. That's where you have to get to first. And then to, to allow that cycle to begin. So how do we get there? Well, the first thing we have to do is understand and kind of reframe your model of failure and success. That's my opinion. And I think that most people, like we said at the top of the show, I mean, most people do everything within their power to avoid failure, avoid rejection. In our book, we have this really simple model. You see yourself in the middle. Failures on one side, successes on the other. You see as uh, you have a choice. Oh, I'm going to be successful and I'm going to get yeses and get the girl. Or I'm going to get no and I'm going to fail and my life's going to be horrible. Uh, it's not a one or the other choice. It's the rejection, the failures in business. All of those things are in the middle. And the success that you're seeking, the yeses and all of that are really on the other side of that. Those are things that you have to move through. Once you can adopt that mental model, um, we call the new model for failure and success. Once you can ad adopt that model, you know, being willing to fail, giving yourself permission to fail. You don't have to be Mr. Perfect. You know, everything doesn't have to go your way as much as you want it to. And so give yourself a, a little credit there and give yourself some permission to fail, adopt that model. And I think that's where you have to start. You have to understand that you're on the right path. You're not screwing up. You're not a loser. You're not doing things wrong. It's part of the process. Excellent. So I, I think a lot of people don't really know how to get there from here, which is fine, because that's normal, right? I mean, people think, and as you and I talked about offline, people think that success and failure are choices, and you can either do one or the other, but you're saying you actually have to fail to succeed. Absolutely. It's part of the process. And if you don't fail at the very beginning, you're going to fail somewhere in the middle of the process. So at every point, just remember that mental model and understand that whatever you're trying to achieve, there's going to be those obstacles, there's going to be those failures in your way. And, you know, you, you picture like getting in your car and saying, I'm gonna drive to success. And you get in your car and you see the sign that says success 10 miles. And then the next thing you see is failure straight ahead. Well, most people see that failure and they go, Oh my gosh, I must have, I must have somehow turned wrong or I, I wasn't paying attention. I, I just saw the failure sign. I'm going to turn around and they turn around way too soon. They give up way too soon. Um, and I don't care what it is, Jordan, in, in your business, in your life and dating, um, people turn around and they, they get off on the exit ramp way too soon. It, it usually takes a lot longer than we think and a lot longer than we want it to. Yeah, that's, that's very true. I've seen this a lot in my own life as well with especially just looking at it from a business perspective, like, oh, this didn't work. Well, I can give up or I can go ahead. And I never really looked at a lot of the stuff in business as failure. I mean, there certainly have been failures, but it's more like the learning process where, hey, if this works, that's awesome. But if it doesn't, then I guess we just found another thing that doesn't work. And I know that sounds sort of like trite, but I wanna, I wanna repackage it and say it took me years to learn that. Right, and I know that the Art of Charm team is the same way. We used to be the guys that were like, this is gonna work and it, we're gonna make money doing this thing and this is gonna like change the game for us and then it wouldn't work and we'd be like, oh my God, we're so disappointed. And then it would be like, all right, well, get back up and keep trying, a little bit of resilience. We're gonna get this press thing, this media thing, it's gonna change the game for us, it's gonna be so awesome. And then the media outlet would like put us on the back page or, or, or pass or like, you know, scrap the article and we'd be like, oh man, this is so disappointing. And now when we get opportunities, even really good ones, we get pitched for things like TV shows pretty much every week. We're just kind of like, yeah, we'll take the call. And they're like, we're going to put you on TV. And we're like, yeah, okay, maybe. And they're like, we've even had people say, okay, am I crazy? You guys don't seem very excited about this. And it's like, oh no, we're, we're excited at the possibility of something like this, but we're just not counting on it being successful because if it works, that's awesome. And if it doesn't, which is the norm, then then that's fine too. And they're just like, wow, nobody really gets on a call with a production company and is totally cool with either outcome. But yes, exactly. And I sense? love that. 
I love that. And that actually goes to, um, you know, one of the benefits, I think, of having this, of adopting this model and to having this whole thing is really about posture, right? It's about having that relaxed and confident posture. And you guys have been through the process enough where you understand how the game is played. And there's some wins and losses. Most of the time, I, I think, especially in, in what you guys do and in, in media and the world of media and entertainment and celebrity and all of that, um, the things that I think you think are going to be just huge, out of the park, crazy things are never as good as you think they're going to be. They just, they never turn out that way. And the things I think that are sometimes seen as uh, small things that are inconsequential, sometimes can yield the biggest results. The key is we never know what these things are going to be. So give everything a try. Um, don't look at it, you know, you can look at things as failures or successes, but really it's all about taking action and then kind of doing a, an autopsy, if you will, and saying, okay, how did that go? And how did that work? And um, what did we learn from that? It is, like you said, it can be cliche, it can sound trite, but the fact is that you you only learn from putting yourself in those situations where you could have huge success or huge failure. Yeah, you know, it's very true. And I think there's something to be said for learning the skill set, or maybe it's a habit, I haven't quite put my finger on it, of brushing yourself off after disappointment by realizing that disappointment is okay. It's not something you should pretend you don't have, but it's also not something that should stop you in your tracks. Because I see this a lot with new people, new entrepreneurs as well, and, and people who aren't in business for themselves, they have this in other areas of their life. But I see it very commonly with new entrepreneurs that I'll say, hey, what are you doing this year? What's exciting for you? I ask everybody that uh, whenever I can, especially on their birthdays, on Facebook and stuff like that. And I often get from experienced business people, oh man, I've got a lot of irons in the fire, we're looking at several projects like this, You know, happy to discuss more when we hang out next time or whatever. And then with very new business people, I get things like, we're looking at this massive opportunity that's gonna blow us up internationally, uh, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's, that's awesome, I, I hope that works out for you, but I know when I look back five, six, seven, eight years, I'm like, oh wait, that's totally me being like, we're gonna get in the Washington Post, dot, 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 we're gonna be millionaires because everyone's gonna read this article and that's gonna put us on the map and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, what happened to that article? Oh yeah, they like they wrote it and then it never got published or whatever. And and there's there's tons of that and that's okay. I'm all for getting excited. I think it's a great thing to get really excited. And if it doesn't work out, you get disappointed, but if you let that disappointment make you say something like, well, this is obviously never gonna pan out because everybody's just full of shit, I'm not gonna do this anymore, then you lose. Absolutely, that is when you lose. But you can win by going, man, we were really close to the brass ring, or at least it seemed like it, and I'm not trying to dish on these people because I was one of those guys. They think like this one big play, this one, especially with PR and media, like, I know people that have been on Shark Tank and they're like, oh my God, I'm doing so great. And I'm like, great, uh, but they're not making any money. You know, that like this massive PR thing, the biggest PR thing you can get for a new startup and often even then it's kind of like, eh, not really doing anything revenue wise uh, or at least profit wise. So you can look at some of the biggest wins that companies have and they're still, they're gone after a couple of years. If you look up some of those Shark Tank companies from season one, they don't exist anymore. So when I talk to new people about their business or about something like this in their life, you always, if you plot it out on this huge spectrum of time, it becomes so insignificant one way or the other. But I think what we do as humans, we tend to zoom in so deep that it's like, if this doesn't work out, we have blown it. And if this works out, we've won the lottery. And neither of those things are actually the case. Exactly. The reality is that in business and all, all areas of your life, things really are gray. They're not black and white. And that's the, this is going to be everything and this is going to be nothing is black and white thinking. It's much more gray. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years going through endless resumes. Well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, guys, back to the show. So how do you know that increasing your rate of failure increases your chance of success? Like, are there studies behind this? I mean, you didn't invent this, I didn't invent this, but it's it seems to be common experience for a lot of people, but has anyone looked at this scientifically and been like, okay, this is legit, or wait a minute, this doesn't hold up? Um, yeah, there have been a few studies, and some of them are older, and the type of studies which are closing type statistics, meaning, you know, you you go back to the idea of it takes usually five contacts, five to eight contacts for someone to finally uh, say yes. So there's a certain percentage of people at every stage, the first contact, who will give up at the first no. They'll get a no from somebody and then they'll say like, okay, well, thanks anyway. It was nice trying to do business with you. Now there'll be someone else who will stay persistent and they'll get two no's, but then they'll, they'll give up. Um, there'll be someone else who will st stick around for three no's or four no's. Well, most customers, and this is from an older research study, I don't have the exact information, but it takes most prospects, most customers, about five attempts before they finally say yes. So the answer of, well, how do I win? How do I, how do I get in the top 10% of all business people or all salespeople? Well, you've got to stay in the game long enough to where when someone finally makes a decision, you are there to get the business. Um, you give up after one no or two no's and you're not sticking around. Well, obviously you're not going to win. That's not the way to win. You've got to be there. You've got to get through those eight to 10 no's. So I think statistically, you're right. It's not, it's, it is a numbers game and we're certainly not the first to say it. I think we're probably, um, the first to say to actually go out of your way to hear no. And that really has a lot to do with the idea of, of not fearing, um, the answer of being willing to ask and whatever, Thing that you are trying to accomplish. Most people have all kinds of Achilles heels when it comes to asking. They assume what someone's going to say. They're afraid of what they're going to say. You know, they don't want to hear the answer. They take it personally, all this stuff. So our whole thing is, hey, no one ever died from getting a no. So go for no. That's the worst that can happen. And then many times you will be shocked and surprised happily with the yes. Excellent. And then, of course, at that point, you need to be ready to run to the jewelry department and haul back to the shoe department and hope she's still there. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. So how do we do this, right? Because you can increase your failure rate in all sorts of areas, but how do we find the right areas? Because if I want to fail in business, there's a lot of things I can do. Those different types of failures may be pushing me closer to success. However, it seems like it's more like focused failure, right? It's not just, hey, let's do everything wrong. I mean, that's not a good recipe for success, right? Right, right. And there are so many little nuances to this. Like, for example, some people say, well, I don't know, Andrew, I mean, I, you don't want to just keep hearing no over and over and over again and hitting your head against the wall. Well, no, there's, a, there's several things. And that is such a perfect question, because there's several things that you should be doing. First of all, um, just if you're, um, let's say, trying to raise money for business or even in fundraising, well, you don't just maybe ask ask people the same way over and over again and make the same presentation. You've got to learn from your failures. You've got to learn from those no's. So you make a few presentations, you get quick no's, and you go, okay, let's see if we can figure out how to improve on this, how to be better. Let's, let's ask. Let's ask the people that we're talking to, hey, was there anything that we could have done or said differently that would have maybe made you say yes? Even if, you know, no money on the table, like we're not trying to get you to commit or 
anything. I'm just curious what your perception is. So you can learn from all of those things. And I always joke with people, I say, go for no is not about, um, not about being, uh, you know, ridiculous. If somebody calls you and says, Hey, I want to place an order with you. It's not like, Oh, I, I'm going to hang up on you now because that was way too easy. Um, it's not about being, um, foolhardy in your business and failing stupidly. It, it is focused failure, like you said. So it is about going out and disqualifying people who aren't qualified, um, for what you have or what you need. And really it's about, um, uh, making those presentations and failing smart so that you can learn from those things and then really get creative, especially I think in your business of media and, and entertainment and things like that, you, you've got to come up with interesting ways of getting people's attention. Those are creative ways of failing and creative ways of trying to get people's attention. So when you say failing smart, do you are you leaning more towards getting as much feedback as you can from the rejector? Exactly. Okay, gotcha. That's good to know. And there are creative ways to do this, of course, We've gotten some truly terrible feedback from people in the past that's just not, and by terrible, I don't mean like, oh my God, your company's terrible. I just mean uh, just really non-insightful. So there's a lot of very helpful feedback that we've gotten as well. So you have to kind of be able to filter and read between the lines and maybe set ego aside, which is always tricky for getting real feedback. In fact, we had somebody working at Art of Charm for a really long time that we let go and it, it has not been the greatest separation because the main reason, in fact, was their ego is wrapped up in everything. Every decision was filtered through ego and insecurity, which is actually true for every human generally. But if it's big enough, it causes a problem for other people. They can't be in your organization. And we had to let this person go, and we eventually were able to hire a lot of people that he was resistant to. And it was funny because the reason he was resistant to a lot of these people is because they would say, hey, listen, you know that site design you spent a year on? That's not going to convert. It's not going to. All the science says otherwise. You can test it. I'll help you test it, but it's not going to work. And I remember that meeting where he was like, well, we're not working with that guy. And I remember going, yeah, um, we should look into that because he's a professional. And it's really, really tough when you're getting feedback to separate what you want to hear and your ego from real feedback. So that's just a, a caveat there because I think it's great to get tons of feedback it's really useless if you don't listen to it because you don't want to believe it or it goes against what you want to do or it goes against your preconceived notion of how you're going to succeed. And I think a lot of people who would normally be very, very successful, they shoot themselves in the foot because they want to be successful in the way that they want to be successful. Does that make sense? No, oh, it makes total sense. Yeah. And quite frankly, what you just described is really someone who had lots of information at their fingertips, but you're right. It, it, ego can get in the way and um, vision oftentimes gets in the way of somebody and, and what they want. But really, I think um, when you're, when you're also failing fast, which is another thing that we suggest is, you know, test fast, try fast, fail fast. And sometimes on some, some things, I think you can fail faster than others, but what, what's helpful is to really look for trends as well. So, I mean, if you have someone who is an expert who it, is is that person who sees the trends you may not have all the trends but that particular person is sitting there going hey here's here's my experience and here's all the trends um it's like you failing fast so you're able to learn from that person's experience and that's why you really do have to step back and say okay um i'll take their suggestion i'll get my ego out of the way excellent yeah how do we get our ego out of the way that's a tricky subject for every man ever and probably a lot of women too Absolutely. Well, I think especially with entrepreneurs and people who are just in business who like to quote hustle. I mean, you know, people are, um, they have their egos deeply involved and, and we all, especially when it comes to being creative and bringing our personality and our art into it. Um, people don't want to be told no because they take it personally. And the thing is, one of my favorite books is, um, called the four agreements. And I always tell everybody who's, interested in self-improvement and personal development to read that book. And a couple of the four agreements, um, one has to do with communication and, and it's spectacular. We don't even have time to go into that. But the other one is um, don't take it personally, is really understanding and respecting someone else's opinion. And one of the things I teach people when it comes to rejection and dealing with rejection is um, when you get rejection, value it, you know, understand that other person's perspective, instead of just saying, Oh, they're an idiot, they don't know what they're talking about. 
try to figure out where they're coming from, see it as a gift, and then figure out, okay, what am I going to do with this? If this, if rejection is a gift, what can I do with it? What can I learn from it? Where do I put it? Um, is it something that actually I can take this no and then say, hey, well, do you mind if I call you in uh, six weeks to see if anything's changed? That's like a sales example, which are kind of all my examples since I really have the sales background. But it, it's really taking those things and figuring out um, how to deal with it in a positive way. So how to set your ego aside? I mean, fundamentally, I think it goes back to giving yourself the permission to fail and then really um, not taking those things personally so that you can get yourself out of the way. Because deep inside, it's sometimes when we're looking for validation, we want validation to feel worthy. And that validation is usually found in those yeses. Um, when you get rejected, when you have people tell you, no, this isn't going to work. No, that idea is bad. You don't know what you're doing. You're not getting that validation. And you got to step aside from that, especially when you're in business as a team. You know, I think sometimes solopreneurs don't experience that much as much because they're the end all. They, they, they get to make all the decisions and no one's questioning them. But in your situation, Jordan, I mean, you guys are all working as a team and, and that's where it can get really tricky. Yeah. If you have somebody like that on your team and they're not responding to the proverbial come to Jesus conversation, get rid of them immediately. And I, I'm speaking from experience here. And I know that's a bold statement because sometimes they're people that have been with you for years and years. But if you can't get somebody like that out of your organization, I would say that you should quit, even if it's your company. Um, and because they will take you down. And I know you've seen, you've done a lot of consulting and speaking and training and stuff, right? You've probably seen that happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, you see it happen. You read about it happening. It, it happens all the time. Um, somebody's going to leave, right? So I, I guess the question is, how, how do you make that happen? How do you force it happen? But I think it's good advice. I mean, you would know more than I because actually, um, because my husband and I are such control freaks, we don't really have any partners. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. But I mean, there's probably even within a marriage, there's got to be struggles like this. Well, yeah, absolutely. And you know, it is kind of funny because he wanted to be involved in everything. And we did get to a point where it was like, you know what, the productivity is suffering, the business is suffering, you just have to be okay with my decisions, I'll be okay with your decisions. And if something messes up, then we'll figure out how to solve it together. And yeah, it, it took a while to get there, though, a few years. Wow. Yeah, well, at least you've gone through that process. I see this in like little micro areas of my own relationships with everyone, not just with my girlfriend and, and stuff like that, even family and friends. You see the ego crop up and you see that fear of rejection even inside relationships. And I think people don't really notice that. They're thinking like, gotta get the deal, gotta get the girl. They don't look at the rejection inside the relationship. And that rejection doesn't have to be like, I'm never talking to you, you're gross, go away, don't talk to me. Or no, we're not buying your crappy product, go away and never call us again. It can be much more nuanced. Absolutely. Nuanced, subtle, little hurts that crop up. Absolutely. Um, and so you have to uh, communicate with people and be honest with people, which is another um, thing from the four agreements. It's really not making assumptions. So not assuming what someone's going to do and making sure that all your communication is out on the table. You know, I think that the nuanced rejection is actually more dangerous. And tell me whether you agree or disagree. I think it can be more dangerous because with a real outright rejection, we can start to steal ourselves to it. And we can start to say like, hey, you know, whenever somebody says no to my product, you know, they're not saying no to me. It just means I haven't demonstrated value. Or if they're saying rejecting me when I'm talking to them and I want to date them, they don't know me. They can't reject me. But it's the little rejections like the hey, you know, this year we're not going to promote you, but it's just because you're new. You know, we'll do this again. We're going to get you in some more training. And you're like, okay, this is normal. And and even things that are much more subtle, like, huh, that's weird. My friends went out to dinner and, you know, I didn't get that text. And they're like, oh, yeah, sorry, we thought you were out of town. I mean, things like that, that you start to, like you said, make those assumptions and read into it. But those things can really add up because it's hard to steal yourself against something that you don't necessarily know is coming or that you don't know when it's coming or you don't even know if it's a rejection because maybe it's wearing a different uniform. Mm, absolutely. And that's why that open communication and being willing to, you know, what, what we typically do is when we have those little rejections is instead of confronting them or having that open communication, it's to kind of either pretend it didn't happen or to let the resentment build up and say, okay, well, you didn't invite me to dinner. Fine. Um, we're going to brunch next week. I won't invite you to brunch. And now you accumulate 
these weird situations and awkwardness between business colleagues or friends and stuff, all because you made an assumption in your head about what you thought to be true. And that's why that open communication is so important. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. You start to do passive aggressive stuff or or not even passive aggressive stuff. You know, we, we refer to those people as nuts, right? When we deal with them where it's like, here's an example. This guy said, hey, do you want to hang out? I said, actually, I've got a bunch of stuff to do and I'm leaving town as well. And he found out that I had a dinner with other folks and I was like, yeah, I didn't lie to him about it. I just, you know, I'm not in a position to invite him to somebody else's dinner. And further, I'm leaving town late, late that same night. And he wrote back and was like, you know, I can't believe you said you were out of town. You know, if you don't want to hang out, just tell me. And I was like, whoa, man, you're obviously massively insecure. And now I just don't want to deal with you at all. Because now I feel like anytime you have a perceived slight, real or not, you're going to be a drama queen about it, right? And this is like an entrepreneur. This is somebody who wants to do business with me. I'm certainly not going to do business with somebody that I can't even get along with in a personal setting with no actual monetary consequences, right? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. And and people do this to themselves all the time. They think, oh, well, you know, business is one thing, personal is another thing. But I, I think they don't realize that, and this took me a while as well, if you're not able to deal with people on a personal level, they're never going to want to deal with you on a, a business or financial level. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And that and that actually goes both ways. But yeah, um, so it does. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. And that's kind of unfortunate. Because again, I mean, that person was going off of an assumption without really knowing all of the facts assumed that this is what he was told. But on the other hand, um, what other facts or situations happened that he was unaware of? And so that's why I think coming at things from your own perspective and not bringing up all those assumptions is so important. Yeah, of course. And so you you mentioned as well, celebrate your failures. What does that mean? I mean, do you have a ritual for that? Or is it just like, all right, we got to know solid, that means we're one step closer to a yes, moving right along? Or do you have something else that's more involved? That's about as simple as it is. And that's about as simple as it needs to be. And Rich likes to tell the story of the time we had a um, client who we were a big, big sale um, deal that was going to come through. And um, they ended up passing on hiring us. But I took the phone call, I hung up the phone, and I told Richard what had happened. And we just high fived each other and went right back to work. And so that's as simple as it is. But the cool thing about celebrating your failures or celebrating your nose that you get. And, and part of the whole process, one of the things that we teach people, especially in the sales world, or if you're raising money or fundraising or whatever is, you know, set a goal for the number of no's you're going to hear. So if you're going to try to get three no's today or 30 no's for this month, see how many no's you can collect. And if you hit that goal or whatever, you can celebrate that and reward yourself. And the reason for this, because there's kind of reasons behind all of it. it. It goes back to this whole idea of reprogramming how you think about no. So I talked about the model of failure and success, which is one thing, but it's how do you kind of get away from that emotional attachment and without having that fear come in or that, oh my God, I just got to know I'm going to be living under the overpass any day now because of this. Sometimes there's a lot of dramatic interpretation about what no means. And businesses are built on hundreds and thousands of yeses, and they receive hundreds and thousands of no's. It's not just one no. But on an individual level, most people will take that no, and they will see catastrophe, you know, it gets blown up in in dramatic fashion. So if you can break it down into small chunks and say, set some no goals, celebrate those no's, reward yourself when you get those no's, what you're really rewarding yourself is your action. You're really rewarding yourself for your activity. And that is all part of that reprogramming process that goes along with getting that model of failure and success ingrained into your head and then going out and doing the quote, go for no process, hearing more no's, and then celebrating them when you get them. Yeah, I think it's not as simple as just looking on the bright side, right? Because you're looking at this as part of the bright side. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I love the way you said that. Really, what we're talking about is taking a negative situation or a negative reality and turning it into a positive and switching it into a positive. I mean, I, the thing that I don't like to do, Jordan, is I don't like to say, um, 
the advice is that, oh, there's no such thing as rejection. Um, it's all in your head. And if you think you're being rejected, well, you're just crazy and you're looking at it all wrong. Well, that's not true because you did get, a, you did get rejected. You did get a no. And I also know from my own experience and talking to hundreds and thousands of people that there are really negative, negative feelings associated with those rejections. And so part of it is thinking differently about the rejection. If you can think differently about it, then you can start feeling differently about it. And if you can start changing your feelings around it, then that's where everything changes. But that doesn't happen without changing your model of failure and success and without really getting into action and getting rejected more. Yeah, for me to take it to an extreme, to look at rejection as like something that's not existing, that's never helped. It's like, oh, no, your dad's not an alcoholic. He just, he likes to have a little scotch with his cereal. I mean, that's, <laughs> no, you're, there's a problem here. You got rejected. Now you can either look at that as a step closer to yes, statistically. And the way that I tend to think about this is probably not as scientific as the way that you do, but I'll look at it and say, all right, statistically, X number of no's equals yes in terms of a qualified, willing, you know, lead or, or story or writer or whatever sort of deal we're looking at. But in addition, what I'm looking at is, well, hey, if we just got rejected by Esquire, and they said, we're still interested, just not now, that's a far cry from being rejected by some crappy blog that you know was still interested, but not right now, right? Like, look at the progress. I think a lot of people go, man, we didn't get that deal with Lululemon, my friend's yoga company, and I'm like, dude, that's like saying, oh, I invented this random sports thing, and oh man, we didn't get that deal with Nike, but Nike's still paying attention to you. Like, you touched the brass ring, if not for a second. Oh, absolutely. There's an indicator of progress there that most people ignore when they get rejected by something because they look at it like, throw the baby out with the bathwater, we've got nothing, look at all that time we wasted on this deal, when they really should be saying, holy crap, we were in the room with those guys, and that's gonna happen again, and we learned a bunch from it, and next time, we might get it. And even if it happens 100 times, we were in the room with those guys. Oh, for sure. And so, yeah, you've got to celebrate the fact that you were in the room with the people that you had the meeting, that you survived the answer, and that you're still around to go after the next company. And quite frankly, with those learnings, with having those meetings, they're in such a much better position for the next meeting, as opposed to saying, okay, well, we don't want to have any negative meetings. So let's never take any meetings with anyone. Um, because we're pretty sure that the more meetings you have, the more opportunities you have for people to pass on what you're doing. So let's only try to meet with people who we think absolutely positively will say yes. And that's really what most people do. They do it without thinking about it, but that's how they filter everything. They filter everything through, I'm only going to do the things that I think statistically are 99% probable that 99% will, will get a yes. Um, that's how you miss all the great opportunities. Now, how do you deal with the fear? You know, the secret, of course, is, is, is taking action here, but how do you deal with the fear of rejection in the moment? Because it's like, oh, give myself permission to fail. Okay, permission to fail. And then it's like, in the moment, you're like, oh, I'm scared. <laughs> yeah. So the way that you deal with fear in the moment is to take a deep breath. And this is not my idea. This is, so I can't take credit for it. But um, I read this a couple of years ago, and I thought it was genius. You have to figure out how to turn fear into excitement. And the way to do this physically is actually through your breath. It's actually through breathing. And most people when they're scared, they do the exact opposite, which is they hold their breath. And that is the worst thing to do. So actually, you physically change that your fear response um, by breathing deeply, um, two or three times that changes your physiological response from anxiety, fear into excitement. And I know that sounds like for people who maybe aren't into meditating or yoga or what have you, that sounds like, well, it's kind of weird. Um, it actually works. It works really well. And you can do it anywhere. And people don't notice. They don't, they're not paying attention to your breathing. So in that moment, you breathe through it. Listen, I think it's cliche as cliche as anything else to say, that, oh, the way that you fight fear is you have to take action, but there's really no other way to get beyond it because you can't develop the courage to do something just by sitting and thinking about doing it. The phone doesn't get any lighter. Going to a networking meeting or to some club to meet someone doesn't get any easier by sitting at home. You have to go do it. But 
again, um, this is that permission to fail thing. But when you tell yourself to go out and to get a no, like to actually don't go out and just try to meet someone and have someone think you're fabulous and all that, but to go out and collect no's, whether it's in a networking situation or dating or whatever, it really changes your dynamic. And the whole idea is if you can change your dynamic of what your mission is, I'm just going to go out and get three no's just to practice, just to get the activity in, uh, your confidence goes up, you actually get far more relaxed, which really does increase your confidence and makes you far more attractive than, okay, I'm going to go to this networking meeting and I'm going to get a yes, or I'm going to go meet this girl for drinks and I'm going to get a yes to a second date, no matter what happens. That is where you create pressure. That's where you look needy and a little crazy. Excellent. Yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. So who uses this? Obviously, I mean, we can use this in our, our businesses and for sales and things like that. But what if we're just, where do you find yourself using this in your daily life? I find using go for no in every area of my life. And I tell people to do that as well. I mean, really, it is a life philosophy. One of the things that actually happened, Jordan, was a book that I read, I guess I was probably 19. It was called The Aladdin Factor. And it was probably the first personal development type of book I ever read. And it was by Jack Canfield and I think Mark Victor Hansen as well. And it was really all about, it was how to like have the life of your dreams, blah, blah, blah. That was the subtitle. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I wonder how you do that. And the entire book was about asking. <laughs> it was about asking for a raise. It was about asking for a promotion. It was about asking for a better seat at a restaurant. It was about asking in every area of your life. And when I then five years later, or three years later, whatever the time frame was, heard Richard share with me the, his go for no story, which is kind of the signature story of our book. When he shared that with me, I thought, oh, I get it. Go for no, be willing to hear no more often. Um, the Aladdin factor told me to ask. So the key to life, the key to success really comes down to the idea that we just don't ask for what we want. And so the idea of who uses this um, is literally literally everyone in every area because we're asking for things all the time. It's just that most of the time we self-modulate and we say, oh, I don't want to ask for that because I'll look pushy. Oh, I don't want to ask for that. I don't want that person to think I'm one of those aggressive salespeople. So there's a lot that we don't ask for. Oh, I don't want them to think I'm selfish because we think that it looks bad. Um, we think that we look a certain way. And so we don't do it. But in every area, at the moment that you think, I want to know if I can do this. I want to see if this is possible. I want to ask for this. It's go for no. What's the worst that can happen? Try to get a no. If you'd be surprised how many yeses you get. And I hear that all the time. I have a Facebook group of over a thousand people, uh, not the fan page, but a closed group of over a thousand people. And we do go for no challenges where I challenge people to get as many no's as they can in seven days. We do 30 day challenges where I teach people, you know, get as many no's as you can in all different areas um, in 30 days and people come back and they say it actually, when I go try to go for no, when I try to do this, I find that's hard. Sometimes I can't meet my no goal. Sometimes I'm, I'm getting yeses that I didn't expect. So it's miraculous what happens when you just free yourself and just ask without fear of, or worry about what the outcome is going to be. And now in terms of practically how we can apply this stuff, you, you mentioned before you have no goals. Can you explain sort of how those work? I mean, is it just as simple as creating a tally of how many no's you're going to get and how do we decide how many we're going to get and do we actively pursue those or is it just like that's the tolerated number of no's? How does that really work? Yeah, so the process of no goals is it is really simple. Just like you said, you can set an arbitrary number and see where you fall. What we typically recommend to do for most people is create a no awareness. You know, most people do everything within their power because we've all been taught and trained to live in a go for yes world, which is I'm going to get one yes today whether it's in a sale or whatever. So instead of doing that, we say set a no goal. So if you typically, let's say you want one sale per week, using a sales example again, but in order to get that one sale, you need to see 20 people or you need to make 20 calls. Then you might say, okay, I'm going to set a goal for 20 no's this week and then back into getting your one yes for that. Now, if you said, well, I don't want one yes, I want two yeses then maybe you would up your goal to 30 or 40 no's in order to get those two yeses. So you can actually back into it. Now, some people over the years that we've talked to, 
have huge fear around doing this. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. They just still have this tremendous fear of picking up the phone, calling someone to make a sale or what have you. And so I don't care if it's just to set a goal to get one no in a week, just figure something out, try to try to seek the moment where it's possible. Um, the goal is to challenge yourself outside your comfort zone, to push a little bit harder than you're doing now, and then to reevaluate on a weekly basis. So set a no goal for a week. A month is, even when we do the 30-day challenge, we do it week by week because setting a no goal for a month makes means that most people won't do anything and then they'll try to get some no's at the end of the month. So it's set a no goal for the week see your opportunities that come along in your business and your life, and then reevaluate at the end of the week and see if you can increase that the next week. But the goal is always, hey, the whole idea here is let's just try to live in a go for no world and change the paradigm a little. Stop focusing on yes. Stop putting all the stress and all the pressure on yourself to just get a yes and be perfect and not have anything go wrong and not fail. Just go out there and have fun. Fail at something. Get a no. Hear a no at something. There's got to be someone you could ask that could get you a no. See that you survived. That will build your confidence a little. And then next week, let's increase it from one to two and see how it goes. So for me, it's all about just having fun with the process because ultimately the whole goal of the whole thing is to help people achieve their goals and dreams who really currently are not because not because they don't have the skills, not because they don't have the talent, but because they're too afraid of the rejection that's associated with whatever they have to do to achieve those goals and dreams. Excellent. Just out of curiosity, have you seen, have you spoken internationally? Like, have you seen other cultures reacting to rejection in different ways? Uh, yeah, we've, we have spoken internationally. We haven't gone to, um, I mean, we haven't been to Africa and different places like that. I mean, mostly, most everything we've done has really been in Europe, but, uh, it's interesting because in England, we've spoken quite a bit and they tell us all the time that, they don't like to be perceived. It all comes down to how people perceive you when it comes down to asking. So they don't want to be perceived as pushy. They don't want to be perceived, you know, everyone's very polite. Um, in Australia, you know, Australia has this thing called, or this idea, this concept of the tallest poppy. I don't know if you've heard of this. Yeah, the tall uh, poppy gets cut, right? Right. You don't want to be the tallest poppy. You don't want to look like you're so, you don't want to be so self-promotional and you don't want people to think that you think that you're so fabulous. And so it's always kind of this downplaying of your success and downplaying of, this is what I've been told, um, downplaying of, of who you are. And so from a go for no standpoint, this really challenges people because they think by hanging back, by not being assertive, and I don't mean aggressive, I mean, just assertive, that they're doing something better, that they don't want to look aggressive. And so really, yeah, go for no is pushing them outside of their comfort zone to say, hey, now, if you're in sales, this is not about being aggressive. And by all means, go for no is not about badgering people. It's not about manipulating people. If anything, it's the opposite. I mean, if anything, this is not about, hey, I'm going to badger this girl at the bar until she is so tired and so worn down. She has no choice but to say yes to me. This is about going up to her and going, hey, I like you. You seem interesting. Let's have coffee. And she says, no, well, great. I just got to know. Let me ask the next girl that walks by <laughs> instead of, you know what I mean? There's just a total different paradigm there. Yeah. I'm just, I'm thinking of like the German version, go for nine, right? The, the Canadian version, go for no, but thanks kindly for asking. There's so much that different cultures have when it comes to this. I could go, go on probably forever. Uh, but thank you very much for your time. This is really interesting and very useful at the same time. Thanks so much for having me, Jordan. All right. Interesting stuff. Yes, when you up your level of rejection, you up your level of success. Of course, there's a balance here. I do like that. I have seen studies on this. I have seen this. This is a common sales thing. It's a common business notion. So I really do enjoy this. I think this is a, a simple concept that's not necessarily that easy. And I mentioned that even in the read that I did for Artitron Boot Camps up above. So it's a, it's a concept that does sort of permeate everything that you do, whether you know it or not. So I hope you enjoyed that. And of course, show feedback and guest suggestions. The show's a fanarchy. In fact, Andrea was also suggested by a listener of the show. I rely on you to help keep my finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who you think is a good fit, let me know, jordan at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoyed this, don't forget to thank Andrea on Twitter. We'll have that linked up in the show notes as well. Bootcamp details at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. 
Remember, subscribe in iTunes, write us a nice review. And I don't just mean click the star thing, write something. Even one sentence goes a long way. And when you write us a review, not only do I feel proud and feel all warm and fuzzy, but it helps keep us up in the ranks so that people who can use this information can find the show more easily to get the credible advice they need. And it's a great way to support the show other than purchasing products and training from us here at AOC. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. Go ahead and tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week, and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 